Hello and welcome to episode eight of the Sports Law Podcast with me, Nick DiMarco Casey. This podcast, the Agents Panel, was recorded live at the Controlling the Game conference held at Wembley Stadium on the 21st of February 2023. So sorry about the tiny bit of feedback at the very beginning. Don't worry, it goes away. Welcome to our highly anticipated Agents Panel this afternoon where we'll be discussing uh, the regulation of football agents and the practical considerations in particular of FIFA's new agents' regulations. Um, We're very fortunate to be joined by some of the world's leading agents and experts. Jonathan Barnett is the executive chairman of ICM Stella Sports, and he's also the president of the Football Forum. He'll be telling us more about that later. Fari Ekvet is the Chief Operating Officer of uh, the Global Football, Boxing and Rugby Division of Wasserman, and he's a board member of the Association of Football Agents in England. Bruno Satin is President of BNS Partners Football Consulting and is a board member of the European Football Agents Association, EFA. And Mohamed Retsky is from X07 Sports Management and is the president of the Moroccan Agents Association. Uh, This panel is also being recorded and will be streamed as part of the Blackstone Chamber's Sports Law podcast. So I've got to welcome all of our listeners. And I've also been asked by the excellent organisers of today's events to say this. Uh, UCFB and its Global Institute of Sport are proud to be hosting this conference with the University of Amsterdam and the European Football Agents Association at the Wembley Stadium campus. UCFB and its Global Institute of Sport are the leading destinations for degree programmes in the sports and football industry. Driving the fast-paced world of sports to new heights, They are powered by a global network of industry leaders and elite stadium venues. Their collaboration for this conference will help support the future of regulatory issues, provide a platform for networking and discussion, and shape the next generation of leaders in the sports industry. So, without further ado, let's start the discussion by considering the historic difficulties Uh, that there have been in FIFA's regulation in this market of agents. Uh, The the level of uh, consultation or understanding that FIFA and other regulators have had. Bruno, can I start with you? What's your opinion of FIFA's role in this area? I mean, to be fair, so we've been in the game for some years. I mean, personally, I started in uh, 1988, so um, a bit of a background in the game. And uh, so far, I don't remember really uh, FIFA having an appetite, an, an appetite to regulate, to really regulate, and to help the game. Uh, because I remember at the very beginning uh, there was no FIFA regulation. In '94, just to make a bit of history, '94 FIFA started to to put an exam in place and uh, it gave this uh, famous FIFA license. And uh, in 2001, uh, they got rid of the FIFA license and they gave this responsibility to the domestic FA because 
FIFA agents, FIFA and agents together, it's dirty, you know, agents are dirty, FIFA is clean, obviously, and so they got rid of, you know, the, the, this, uh, this name, FIFA agents. So then the domestic FA took over, and then all of a sudden, 2015, the genius at Zurich uh, decide that they have to uh, deregulate. And uh, once again, it's like a referee, you know, is, is doing a big mistake, so then he needs to compensate again, and then 2022, then they want to correct the mistake and to regulate again, to put the license in, to put the exam in, and with this set of rules, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, uh, from all the experts, I mean, the, not, not only the panel, but all the agents we are talking to in our respective countries, are considering that this set of rules is ridiculous. So we said that what we were okay or we agreed on, for example, we had no problem for many years uh, on uh, the, the exam or the principle of a license, but all the rest uh, is, uh, is, is unbelievable. So, and just to make a comparison, you know, uh, FIFA, when it comes to the referees, so uh, they employed one of the best which was Mr. Colina. So I don't remember FIFA hiring one of the best experts in our activity to guide them, to, 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 to lead them, uh, and to have a, a, a constructive dialogue in order to, to progress. So uh, that's one of the questions. And seriously, uh, our profession, we, we don't understand what they want to do, and that's the reason why Obviously, we are really prepared to, to take a lot of legal action to fight this. And, and I want to ask about some of the consultation in relation to these regulations in a moment. But just before doing so, um, we, we just had a, a panel discussion before this, and it was interesting to hear some other experts in the industry, such as uh, Dave Baldwin, for instance, the, the chief executive of Huddlesfield and formerly of, of Burnley and the Football League, describe practically the important role agents play. And I understand there's a concern that maybe some of the officers in FIFA don't really understand what agents do and that the, the things on the ground they do to, to make things work. And Mohammed, I wanted to bring you in here to tell us about some of the things maybe people haven't uh, understood that agents contribute and contributed in Morocco and across Africa uh, to help the great success of the national team in Morocco in the last World Cup. Yes, thank you. Uh, I'm happy to be here, to be the voice of Africa and Arabian country here. Uh, we need to hear them also. Uh, six uh, of 11 players in the pitch on the semi-final of Morocco against uh, French are uh, born in Morocco from training center and academies in Morocco. That's, uh, this result brings joy for all Africa and for uh, Arabian country. That's me and football unite. We were happy. We saw people from Senegal, from uh, Ethiopia, from Egypt, happy with the result of Morocco, like is their national team. And uh, is this, I choose this introduction for we speak about the other thing that is coming here, that football unites and make, uh, give the joy in Africa. And, and how did agents help with that um, 
development in Morocco? Uh, uh, the Football Federation Morocco, uh, Football Federation of Morocco, uh, building uh, academies, centers. So uh, with the direct contact with the agents, we work uh, as a team. Uh, as I say, six of these 11 players that's playing, they go out from Morocco. Mm. That's me with the Moroccan football agent directly. The first step from Africa, from Morocco to the to the Europe, to the small, was done by Moroccan agent. So, Jonathan, turning to you, what's what's FIFA's? What what have FIFA done this time? We we heard that they deregulated in 2015 without listening to the warnings that that might have caused. Have they listened this time? Have they spoken to you and the Football Forum and the other big agents? What's, what's been your dialogue as agents with Absolutely FIFA? None. Absolutely none. Um, not proper consultation. They say there's been consultation, but they talk rubbish. Um, <clears throat> quite simply, in all the years, I mean, Bruno, you've been an agent longer than me because he's a lot older than me. But, <laughs> but in, in real terms, since I've been in the business, which is about the same time, Bruno, they don't, I don't think they've ever set foot in an agent's office. I don't think anybody at FIFA has, knows what an agent does other than what they probably read in the newspaper. And we've tried several times, all of us around here, we've tried to speak to them to have a proper consultation I mean, the first time they came up with these rules, they invited a few of us to sit down, what they said would be consultation. I went into the, to the boardroom there with them, and all they did was lay out a set of rules. And when I got up to speak <clears throat> and asked them, I said, this is ridiculous. They said, these are the rules set in, set in stone. So there's hardly conversation, consultation, sorry. So I got up and I walked out, and I was followed by most of the agents as well. So there's never been any consultation, and obviously we'll see what it means in, in the end of the day. And as far as that's concerned, I think FIFA just don't know what they're doing. So that's the truth on that matter. I mean, there are other things. Um, the gentleman from Anderlach, he said something like, people don't really understand agents, because he said, for example, <clears throat> one of the things that could be the problem with this new rule is that the agent will take the player and to another club. Well, I look after quite a few hundred players. And I've never yet, in, in 30 years, ever been able to phone up a player and say, I'm a bit short of money today, so you're going to have to go to another club. <laughs> so it's, it's a complete fallacy and a complete rubbish. And people got to understand what an agent really does. You know, we're not one-man bands. I think between us here, there's, we employ, I don't know, three, four hundred people in agency business. And it's a proper business, not a one-man band standing by the side of a road. And any of the young students here that want to get involved in being a football agent are welcome to come, see our businesses, apply for internships in these businesses, and, and see what we really do. But why do we think that is? Why doesn't FIFA listen to agents? Why haven't they consulted? Well, they've I been mean... too busy doing their own thing, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, I have no love for FIFA. You've got to understand they turn around and they say things like, all agents are crooks, this is bad, all bad. I'm, maybe I'm wrong again, but I think in the last 10 years, there's been more people from FIFA being arrested than any agent. <laughs> I could be wrong, and I stand corrected. 
So, you know, that's my opinion, but I'm very quiet and subtle about that. Can I, can I, can I just jump in on that as well? So, um, hi guys, I'm Safari from Osman. Um, I think 2015 was a really interesting turning point, well, for, for me in particular, because at that point, when, when the new regs were on the horizon, where they were deregulating the industry, uh, we sat round with the FA, and, and I know the FA in the room today, so I'll be careful with my words. Uh, and, and the FA has got a very difficult role in all of this because they're having to implement you know, what comes from above at FIFA. But we sat down with them, and, and it was myself, Jonathan, and Leon, who's in the room today as well, and we sort of breathe the industry. We, we, we know all the challenges, we, we know all the, all, all the positives, but also all the negatives as well. And when they said that they were going to deregulate, we alarm bells started ringing because this is a, a very delicate industry where we've got to give really really delicate advice and that advice is comprised of years and years of experience in all different areas of whatever industry we come from and whatever practice we put into that to deregulate to open it open up the floodgates to people with, with the best will in the world they, they couldn't do a, a, the, 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 a reasonable job for, for an agent because they haven't got the right skill set to do so. They, they have to go through the various bits of training, they have to go through previously in examination and I think that they are culpable here of making the situation a million times worse. And, and when we said to them, you can't do this, this is going to be a real big problem for you guys, they didn't listen and they carried on. Well, fast forward to where we are now and we've got that exact situation. For those of you that haven't gone through the regs, I implore you, please do so on a page-by-page -page basis, clause-by-clause. Clause. They are riddled with clauses that are just impractical, that cannot work on a daily basis, that cause complexity for players, for agents, for administrators, for our friends at the FA over here as well. It's going to be fraught with complexity and a nightmare for everyone. So we're at that point now where they need to listen to us. If they don't listen to us, all we're going to do is be involved in a system that's going to collapse very, very quickly. And I remember being at a FIFA meeting where they were talking about this and saying they want to bring agents back into the football family. That's why they're licensing agents. Bring them back into the football family because they deregulated. Why then are not agents represented on the stakeholders committee like the ECA or FIFPRO and so on? Yeah, I mean, we've never been a part of the football family. I mean, except when Stephanie Lynch mentioned this, that we should be soon a stakeholder. I mean, eventually Giovanni Bramchini, our vice president, has been invited by UEFA. I think it was November or December to the last UEFA meeting about the future of football in Europe. Uh, and consider more or less as a, a stakeholder. But this is the fir very first time. So, I mean, as everyone knows in this room, agents are always the bad guys in football, you know? And we never mentioned that if there's something dirty going on, you need, obviously, sometimes there is an agent, but beside there's always a club, you know? So it, it reminds me, when we were um, talking about uh, minor trafficking and so on, there's always a club involved as well. So, and we easily forget that. So, I mean, uh, eventually there could be some who are clean, but I mean, there's always clubs for sure, they're always involved as well. And while I don't understand what people mentioned earlier on, ECA, I mean, I mean it's, it's another joke, ECA. The president of ECA is Nasser Raifi, president of Paris Saint-Germain, Qatar guy. I mean, probably one of the first ones who does not respect the rules. 
So, and he's the president of ECA and telling the clubs, the top clubs in Europe, what they should do. So, I mean, it's, it's a joke. One of the most controversial aspects of the regulations is the cap, the mandatory cap on agents' fees. Um, I, I know many of you have heard some things about it, but Fari, can you just give us a little explanation of it and what you think the consequences of it will be on the football industry generally? Of course. So, so for those of you that don't know, at the moment there's no cap. It's a free market. You're free to command whatever fee you want and provided someone's willing to pay it, it gets paid. So what, what they'd like to introduce is, is essentially a, a cap. It's a fixed cap on the remuneration we are able to charge. And it's kind of split up into a few different buckets. So the first is if, if you act for a selling club. If you act for a selling club provided it's not the player, you are able to charge a cap of 10%. But the part where it, it is probably more relevant to many agents in the room is where it concerns players. So at the moment, there's a recommendation of 3%. Uh, as, as per the FA rules anyway. And though that recommendation is not implemented really by, as far as I'm aware, and I think Jonathan would probably agree with me, anyone. I'm not aware of a single deal operating at 3%. But the cap on the player side that they're willing to introduce, that they want to introduce, is, is 3%. Um, that's in, in the event the player earns more than $200,000 per year. On the club side, provided a territory is willing to allow dual representation, you can also charge 3% as well. So in theory, it's a 6% cap on anyone earning more than $200,000. For those earning under $200,000 per annum, that is, uh, it's 5% per side. And, and obviously that is way out of sync compared to many different territories uh, and, and transactions that happen really all across the world. Um, in terms of what that could look like going forwards, well, I think it was fascinating listening to the earlier panel, and Dave, I'm looking at you because you're sitting in front of me here, but it was really fascinating, and it, it was quite refreshing to hear someone uh, actually speak up for agents. That's not an agent. Um, there aren't many of you out there, so <laughs> thank you very much for that, Dave. Um, but, but it really did highlight the, the, the value and the intrinsic value in a deal, and, and that example we all live through without being beheaded here, but we all live through that example where we can see tangible value that we've delivered to clubs or, or, or players on a daily basis. Um, and that value it, that, that we can deliver has, has a tangible value attached to it as well, a numerical value. And that numerical value is often way more than 3%, which is what they're commanding at the moment. So our fear is that this will the system will collapse. And I think, you know, in one of the meetings we had earlier this morning, there was some an analysis by uh, a German academic authority that, that predicted market failure. And, and that's what we predict in this situation as well. Because the second you have a superstar player that, that is a free agent that comes into the market and there's a bidding war, it's very unlikely that the clubs, who ironically are pushing for this through the ECA, will adhere to that transparent 3% that FIFA are hoping for. So we want transparency. We are all, you know, especially sitting on this panel, um, we all run fairly large businesses that, that are regulated by lots of different regulators. We want transparency, we encourage transparency, but our fear is that the system will drive things underground. And that's really not what we want. We want, that, we want to do everything we possibly can to ensure that agents don't get tarred with that brush. I think, I'm just going to say about agents, first of all, we want regulations, proper regulations that we as agents 
sit down with whoever, whether it be the FA or whatever, whoever it is, and draw up proper, correct regulations. It suits all of us, that everything is correct. As for a cap, that is absolutely ridiculous. We think it's, un it's illegal, and it's just ridiculous. If you're a, a tennis player's agent, he doesn't get capped. If you're a state agent, you don't get capped. It's market force. I've never yet sat in front of a player and said, X, I want X amount, and I put a gun to his head so he, so he has to sign it. It doesn't happen. It's all done legitimately. They know what they're going to be paid, and there's never been a problem. The problem has always been a newspaper runs something that an agent has earned X. He's probably deserved it. And if he hasn't, the player would have left him. So it doesn't happen. I know Mina Riola, who unfortunately died, was, slag was slagged off badly over a deal with Pogba and how much he earned. But I, I'm, well, I was a very close friend of him, and I know the deal. He took no commission at all from Juventus. He, he asked for a, co a commission, and they said to him, no, we'll give you a percentage if we sell it, ever sell him on. They never thought it was going to be that sort of money. So he, he got a percentage. He never asked it. Juventus actually asked for it, but nobody's had a go at Juventus for it. You know, all right, he made good luck to him. He made just a little bit less than me. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but in real terms, to, uh, to bring in this, um, this cap will lead to absolute disaster for, with all due respect, smaller clubs, really will. And smaller agents, we will have to lay off people There'll be redundancies. There'll be really bad time. We'll get through it eventually, and we'll carry on. But for the smaller agents, it's a disaster. Disaster for the smaller clubs, because they're going to be asked to pay a lot more money. And where does that come from? It's, it's just, let's be realistic. It's just done by people who have never, ever, ever sat in front of an agent and asked them how you and come to their offices, see how they work, They've never, ever done it. And I'll tell you one other thing. The, the license, and Fari and I, he'll vouch for this. I, we went to, we had a Zoom meeting with the agent, some of FIFA, and they introduced us, David, it's unbelievable. They introduced us to the, the lawyer who was going to set the exams. And I said to him, when was the last time you've been in an agent's office? And the man said, never. I said, how many agents have you met? He said, I met one once. That's the truth. That's the guy that's writing your agency. How many deals have you been involved? Oh yeah, how many deals have you ever been involved in? None. So that's a really good guy. <laughs> and also, uh, you know, obviously it's quite easy to, to talk about some of the big deals, but you know, lower down the leagues, lower down the spectrum, this has a real meaningful impact on, on the people that maybe don't work on the big deals, but this is their full-time living. And they, at the moment they can get away with charging X percentage in whatever territory they're working in. But having a fixed cap of 3% in certain territories at certain levels mean that it's impossible for people to continue earning a living out of this, which is not what the system should be doing to various different people. It should be encouraging people in the right way, in a transparent way, in an educated way to conduct their activity, not putting them out of business looking for other jobs. And Mohammed first, so I'll just bring you in on that and, and the effect it will have in your region. Uh, football uh, is a worldwide sport. Okay, they make a decision uh, by facing or by uh, judging uh, European sport. 
they didn't take our opinion in African football or in Asian or other country. Our reality is different. Even now, most of uh, most of the commission, uh, most of our transaction is less than hundred thousand dollar euro. That means in the new regulation we will get five percent. I said hundred thousand. That is big in some country. Player win uh, twenty thousand, thirty thousand. Imagine. As a football agent, I'm, I will make 5%. I need to make 30 transactions. And more than that, the football agent in Africa is like a father of the players. So at, at the youngest age, they buy them boots, they uh, food, uh, they, they help them. How are they going to survive? This, uh, this agent also. It's a situation very cr uh, criticate, but they didn't take our opinion. We have, we are having more problem, different problem. We are expecting, waiting them to find us solution, and they bring uh, this new regulation. Mm -hmm. Just a quick point, you know, in another life, I was a head of football for ING for a number of years, and so. By the way, and uh, just as a curiosity, I've, I've wrong uh, my friends at ING model agency. You know the it's talent representation, so it's to compare, and just to ask them what they are invoicing. So they are invoicing 20% to the model and 20% to the company they are working with. By the way, so once again, we must speak about proportionate things. Proportionate, you know, a lot of a lot of times. I mean, in France, I'm based in France. We have a cap on fees, it's 10%. Okay, by law. So, but once again, a lot of times, you know, it depends on the player you represent. Sometimes you have a bit more leverage, sometimes you have less leverage. So, and it's always a negotiation in good faith. And I mean, if the deal is happening, that uh, all the three parts are happy. So uh, that's what we must think and not be regulated by FIFA with imposing caps. And I think the other point um, that's come out of this is the, the danger of these regulations having perhaps the opposite effect uh, of what those who have drafted them intend them to be. Fari, you were mentioning the risk that if there's a superstar young player that uh, all the top clubs are going to fight for, um, and that player is a free agent and so has a lot of leverage, and his agent has a lot of leverage, um, the clubs, some of the top clubs might find ways to make payments, um, disguise payments. And we've all seen, and obviously we can't comment on them because they are uh, subject to proceedings, but we've all seen the allegations about Manchester City recently. And we all know that football's a highly competitive business. Uh, how serious do you think those sort of risks are? And also, just ask you a, a, another question related to it. How serious are the risks that if a agent can get 10% of a transfer fee when selling, they may be more incentivized to push up the transfer fees at the expense of a player because that will presumably affect his ability to earn more in the future. Yeah, absolutely, you know, just touching on that. So it's, the system is almost encouraging players not to be represented by agents and actually to represent clubs selling players. Well, is that really in the best interest of players? Is that, is that something that, that we think is, is really appropriate? Obviously, 
you know, taking ourselves for, you know, as an example, we, we have a team of people in our building re ready to cater for players' needs, whatever they might, might be. And we do everything we possibly can to make sure we act in the players' best interest and we provide players with the easiest possible life in, in whatever it is they're seeking to do. Well, how, how exactly does this system encourage and enable us to do that if they are significantly limiting our ability to be able to provide those services? My argument would be that this, this, this goes in the face of that. And if anything, you're encouraging me to work for a club because I can't work for the selling club and the player now because the current system allows triple representation in theory, but the new system doesn't allow that. So I'm discouraged from working with players, but I'm encouraged to working with clubs, which to me makes zero sense whatsoever. I think 100% what Fari said is right. Speaking from our point of view, we are part of CEA with Leon down there. We are a major company with 7,000 people, employers, that are, that are bought by our company. They're not going to go do anything that's illegal or anything wrong, so our figures will go down. We'll have to cut services back and players will suffer. So it's, it, I cannot understand that, obviously I'm not having to go everybody, I think I may have left somebody out, but <laughs> the PFA and the other union are sitting quietly, not saying a word, but it's their, it's their players. You know, they say they represent 5,000 players. Well, that's great. I'm not sure how many they've actually met, but in truth, they should be out screaming about it as well, because players are going to be hurt. Another important um, and controversial aspect of the new regulations is the restrictions on dual representation and again just in case you haven't read those um, what they allow for is you can still have dual representation where you're acting for a player and an engaging club as they call it but you cannot if you act for a player and a releasing club um, Bruno what's what's the what do you think is the effect of that and what's wrong with that? Well, as we already uh, discussed a bit, I mean, it must uh, push the agent to, to work more on deals, meaning on releasing clubs, because uh, you will get paid much better and not concentrate on players' representation, uh, because it will be difficult to make the same earnings. So uh, that's a serious risk and it must push, as uh, Fari mentioned as well, to um, instead of stability, it must push the agent to make uh, a deal every year if they are incentivized on the 10%. So instead of just getting 3% on the player's revenue. So that, that's the point about the transfer fee, 10%. I, I understand that, but I, I meant more the, the rule that you can't act for a releasing club and a player at the same time, but you can for an engaging club and the player at the same time. Perhaps for some of our audience, one of you can explain why it can be so valuable for players and clubs to be acting for releasing clubs and players at the same time. It's, it's perhaps part of your job that uh, the, the public don't look at so much as transfers in, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, Dave, you know, you've probably got countless examples of, of situations. The one that you mentioned earlier was actually exactly that situation where the, the agent showed value to the releasing club, but also to the engaging club, but also to the player. And, and we personally, we've been involved in lots of situations where we've been instrumental to that because various things happen throughout a transaction that sometimes you don't expect. 
the, the club changes their mind, the player fails, fails a medical, whatever it might be, you've got to be ready to, to assist the club and the player and the releasing club or the engaging club, whatever it might be. So certain situations fall the way that they do because the circumstances demand it. And all we're doing is getting paid for jobs that we've been asked to do from various different parties. And if all those parties know about it, and we all sign conflict of interest forms to say that everyone knows about it, they all know what we're earning out of it, and all three people are happy to pay for it, why should the system stop us from helping clubs in those certain ways? I think people like Dave might be upset in that situation because they might want the help, uh, and then we won't be able to give it. Dave, Dave Baldwin, <laughs> Chief Executive of Huddlesfield Town. Uh, apologies, yeah, for anything, but yeah, I just concur that point exactly. In most instances, the, the, the exiting player and the transfer value of the player leaving are intrinsic on what the deal you do with the agent. And in most instances, the, the, the selling club becomes the, the best beneficiary of that whole process. So they, they have not just found your market for you, they've helped you drive your market price and they facilitate a move that a player wants to happen. And if you don't get all those three component parts aligned, they don't happen anyway. So you could, have a, you could get the best offer in the world from a club, but if the player doesn't want to go and the agent isn't able to facilitate that position or doesn't recognise the steps to where they go because they're so focused on the, on the out, it collapses. So for me, as, exactly as you described, it needs all three component parts, and, and if you haven't got those component parts, more deals will fall over. Thank you. Um, I want to ask about other services now, because uh, what we've been talking about in terms of the cap is a cap on what's described as agent services. Obviously, you all provide many other types of services, whether it's legal or, or commercial deals, image rights, and so on, and there's no cap on other services. First of all, what are the risks that might occur as a result of that, Jonathan? There's no risks, really. I mean, other services, there's a massage and a few other things like that, <laughs> but in general, there is, there, is no, there is no risk whatsoever, as we stand. There will be now, because um, it's nobody's, I mean, it's nobody's business how much somebody earns. I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about the player. And if he does a particular, we get him a sponsorship deal. It's wrong that other people should know how much. Sponsorship deals or things like that have nothing to do with FIFA whatsoever. Or if the FA insists upon it, same as them. It has nothing to do with them. It's done by, in our case, a company at CEA that has a whole marketing division. They don't even hardly know us. But they go out and get proper deals for our players. I'm sure it's the same for Wasserman and Bruno. People do deals and there is obviously a lot of protection should be given if you phone up and ask a question in a shop or BT phone you, unless you are the person, they won't give you an answer. Here we're supposed to do a deal, tell FIFA and they publish it. So everybody can work out how much that player's got. It's dangerous it's because somehow somebody will, will there's thieves, there's blackmail, there's God knows what else. If you start letting people know how much somebody earns, it leads to a lot of problems. And FIFA to want to do that is outrageous. And so, in my opinion, it's a disgrace. Uh, I just don't know what more to say. I'm flabbergasted that they should even think there's something like a sponsorship deal, um, a hair wash or something for a player, the, that should have something to do with the, F, with the FA or, or FIFA. You have yeah, to explain it to me why. Because uh, 
certainly when I looked through the regulations as a lawyer, the, the thing that probably most excited me, because I'm always looking for where are all the disputes going to be, was this point that if you are acting for a player in a transaction, so it's your player, you're acting in a, for a player in a transaction, if either 24 months before or 24 months after that transaction, you've provided any other services. So let's say you've done a, a Nike sponsorship deal or whatever it is for the player. They are deemed to be agent services and subject to the cap unless you can prove otherwise. So the burden of shift, it's like doping cases, shifts to the agent to prove otherwise. Fari, what, what do you think the effect of that will be? I mean, the only description I can use for that is farcical, because that's exactly what it is. Uh, many businesses uh, provide lots of different services to players, uh, whether it's in the digital world, whether it's in the commercial world, whether it's in the social media world. There's a long list of different services that lots of people can provide. So the fact that the burden of proof is on us to show what we've done, how much we've earned, and then someone at FIFA takes a view on that. Well, we don't know, first of all, who that's going to be. We don't know how long they're going to take to kind of decide that. We don't know just under how much pressure they're going to be volume-wise to be able to get through all these various different situations or what qualifications they've got to do that. But yet, they've got the ability to turn around and say, actually, you're not allowed that fee because we think it's it's caught within the other services definition. And because of that, we're either not going to release you, we're going to sanction you. A, a list of possible sanctions could follow from that. Well, that to me demonstrates the exact issue that we're talking about here. The people making up the rules don't really have any experience of day-to-day -day transactional agent life. And if they did so, they wouldn't be putting silly, stupid rules like this because it really is the most frustrating situation when you've got people that really don't know what they're doing making up these rules. Another potentially controversial area is the new rules restricting when agents can approach minors. And in particular, it's a sort of definition of minors, which is now um, you cannot approach one, a minor, until six months before the player is allowed to sign a professional contract in the country that he's playing. So, you know, first of all, I'd just like to know, um, for example, in Morocco, what's the age that a player can sign a professional contract? The legal age for signing a contract in Morocco is 18 years, and most of African countries also is 18 years. So uh, for us, uh, this is a very controversial uh, regulation. Uh, European teams will take advantage of this situation. They will approach more African players without presentation, without advice. The, also, the football agents, uh, that uh, Africans, they will be by the side of uh, also of the teams, as the commission is 10% also. So uh, it's creating many, many, many complicated situations that uh, I, don't, I don't think that uh, we, will, we will progress. We will see just it will fall totally. The football Asian in Africa is going to fall. And the, the, the players, they will have uh, problems. I think that that's a very important point, Mohammed, because there's been a lot of stuff in the press. And I know the FA take this very seriously. 
about what's described as the trafficking of young African players by rich European clubs and so on, and the role of agents in that. But what you're saying is that if you're an agent in Africa, you cannot approach a player until they're essentially 17 and a half to, to, to represent them and protect their interests. Whereas, of course, we know in England and much of Europe, they can be approached when they're 16 and a half. I think the biggest problem is to be a pro, a player at any age should be represented when he goes in to negotiate with the club. Under these rules, and we all can say what you like, the club will already have spoken to the parents of this player. They already have negotiated a deal with the parents for this boy. Let's be realistic. And they'll be doing it without representation. And that is, that is the problem. So the club can do the deal, put the, put the deal away, and that's all done. But you'll suddenly sign they find a five-year deal for £4.50. And it's, at the, it's the club, I've got no problem, whatever age, let's play on a level playing field. We should be allowed, all agents and all, well, all families and players should be allowed representation by a proper agent, licensed agent, whatever, well, I agree with that, a proper agent to sit down. They shouldn't be allowed to just go in and the club alone can negotiate with the parents. It's wrong and it's disgusting. How do you know that in the following six months the player will be offered a pro contract? So, I mean, if you, I mean, you can contact the player because you think he's talented and you think eventually the club will offer him a pro contract, but sometimes it's not that obvious and because sometimes at this age, 16, 17, the, the boy all of a sudden is He's going to a, another level, and uh, the club is uh, is waking up and say, "Oh, by the way, I need to sign him a pro contract. If not, uh, he will go elsewhere." So uh, that's that's extremely difficult. But uh, but I mean, it's it's another thing they they invented. Uh, I don't know from where. I mean, to, to have this kind of idea, it, it's difficult. And also the, the fact that <clears throat> you can have fees on minors or. I mean, it would be allowed now in this new regulation. For example, in, in France, it's totally pro prohibited. So, uh, and a lot of uh, uh, minors don't get proper advice because if you if you can't uh, make a living with it and, and even pay your work, I mean, uh, the agents are not taking care of, of those players. So again, what what's said to be brought in with the objective of protecting minors, I think you're all saying. <laughs> can have the opposite effect because nobody's thought it through again. Let's be clear, FIFA's interest is clubs, not agents, and not players. I'm not sure how many people at FIFA have ever met a player, let alone protect them. And I think that is all most of these deals, they keep saying that the player's interest, they're looking after them. That's not true. So that's why one of these rules, they want to look after the club first. And that's the whole thing. Well. Um, you might think there's been a little bit of FIFA bashing on this panel. Uh, if, if, any, if anyone from FIFA wants to come on to our podcast in the future and debate with any of these uh, agents, I'm sure they would be welcome to do so. But I'd like to ask you now to look forward and to answer... Well, I really want to ask you three questions, if I can, before opening this up. And you feel free to answer all three or any one of them. Um, <coughs> But looking forward, uh, firstly, 
do you think this fee cap will actually survive? Will, will there be legal challenges and will it, will it actually come in to force and survive? Secondly, what key alternative proposals would you suggest for regulating this area? And thirdly, how do you see the role of the football agent developing in the future, considering the, the, the various technological developments and their commercial effect on football? Um, so, Jonathan, start with you. Any of those or all of those three questions? As we stand at the moment, there is going to be lawsuits. I don't want to get into the minutiae um, at all, but there is going to be lawsuits. We are going to, and I hope that we win. Um, if we don't, it's going to change the face of agency and players and everything else. So it's very important that we win. I can't say much more than that at the moment, as you can appreciate. So that's the first thing. What was the second question? What key alternative proposals for regulation of agents would you suggest? Well, I won't, we, we, we will never accept the, a, a salary cap for players or anything like that. I think, as I've said right at the beginning, and I've said for years, we, as all agents here, are more than willing to sit down with whoever, FIFA, sit down with the proper people at the FIFA, not backroom staff that have no power, with a blank piece of paper and work out what, what needs to change. There isn't so much. We're not such a terrible organisation as agents. There are good agents, there are bad agents, and, that, and that's in every field, in government, in FIFA, and anywhere. There are good and bad people. That's a fact. But we need to sit down, and I've got no problems sitting down with them, the blank, but it has to be a blank piece of paper, and sit down, and we can explain to them how the agency works. We've got no problem with people like Dave coming into those meetings that understand football, have a proper discussion and come up with rules that are sensible and proper. And that, that I believe, is the future. What is the future for agency? As it stands at the moment, it's a, I think it's a great business. I've loved every minute of it in my life. And I've been very fortunate. I've built up a nice business and it's been very good to me. And I think it's a very good business to be in. It will change. If they, this, these idiots of FIFA keep doing things, it will change then I'm not sure that I want my family in it or things like that. But we have to wait and see. But it will change. If they, these regulations come in, it won't be anything like the one I know and like. So that's what I believe. Bruno, next. No, I totally agree with, uh, with Jonathan. Uh, I'm, I'm in. But I'm quite optimistic that uh, those rules will never be in place because they are so ridiculous. I mean, I mean it's not like... We want to give the blame to FIFA, but I mean, they invented that. Mm -hmm. I mean, if just Mr. Fantino, who, who wanted after the Mino Raiola deal to Manchester and said, look, I will clean the football, the agents, and, 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 and that's it. So, uh, it's, so that's why I'm quite optimistic. Uh, and <clears throat> for the future of, of, of the agents, I mean, there are different ways of doing this job. I mean, well, for example, where we started, I mean, and so it's a, it's a job you work on your own, or eventually you, you have a lawyer and, and a couple of scouts, and, and a top level like uh, like Jonathan or doing at CAA or, or Fari at, uh, at Wasserman. So it's a, it's, it's a different uh, different job, but, uh, but there's always room for passionate people. It's, it's a job about passion. And so uh, obviously you don't see much of your family, but, uh, 
but you're working your passion. It's a fantastic job. We've been doing it for years, and uh, but I mean, I'm I'm optimistic at the end because this is impossible to put those rules in place because if not, we can stop. Mohammed, uh, I join my voice to uh, Jonathan and Bruno uh, uh, about the futures of uh, the Origins. I'm very optimistic that uh, the FIFA will reconsider the situations. Uh, to, uh, they need to talk to more uh, Asians from different continents. Uh, Asia, Africa, for example, South America, not only based on regulation in Europe. I hope that they, 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 they will take in consideration uh, uh, all these things, I'm very optimistic that uh, things will change. Fari? Well, on the face of it, uh, I think it's, I think we're in a good position to say that the regs are unlawful in, in various different territories. I mean, when you look at all the different aspects of European competition law, and even not take European law out of it, in, even in different territories around the world, on the face of it, this is a restraint of trade. And, and law is on our side. Uh, the, the burden sits with FIFA to prove that it's lawful, and, and we think they're going to have a very difficult job in proving that. It's, it's obviously our job to take this on uh, in, with the seriousness that it deserves, and when we're doing that. And I think they may have underestimated just our determination and grit to fight this, because we're here to, to the, the, the very, very last moment. We're not going anywhere. We're not going to allow the industry to change in the way they want it to change. And we call upon all, all agents around the world to support us in that. And, and, and by that, you know, agents can support by supporting their local agent association. So if you're in the if, if you're in England, please support the AFA. Become a member and, and register. Uh, get in contact with with, with us, and, and we can give you the details. Or Roberto can share the details. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, but it's really important that we show solidarity in numbers because that unity is, could be the difference between us winning and losing the case. So we're really confident that we're going to be in a very strong position um, to defeat these regs. Um, and the, the next six months are going to be very important. Um, in terms of what this looks like uh, in, in the future, well, the way that they're trying to shape the regs is going to make it very different for, for agents to practice in the way that they're currently practicing. Um, that will inevitably have a negative impact on the level of service that's being provided but we are united amongst all the different agent associations to not let that happen. We will do everything we possibly can to defeat them, and, and we hope that they have some kind of epiphany uh, throughout and they realize that this isn't gonna work, it's not gonna be practical, it's not gonna be lawful, and, and we really hope that they work with us to actually have a set of rules that we think are workable. And, and there are some rules within the regs that they've put out that are actually quite workable, and we do quite like them, but we really want them to work with us to, to really find some kind of harmonic situation where we can really have rules that are practical, are workable, and are actually for the good, for the, uh, good, good of the industry. Thank you, Fari. Um, we've got time now for a few questions. Um, I think we're going to have questions on this subject, but also please do ask questions on, on other things. But I can see some hands up already. Please say your name and where you're from. Um, good afternoon, Malcolm. Thank you very much. Um, my question goes to Mohammed. Mohammed, I'm from Ghana originally, yeah. and I know a lot about the Ghana FA. Yeah. Right. I've been hearing a lot about FIFA, UEFA, but in terms of Africa, you know, some people call that discussion about the way African football, the way we, we govern our, our, our game, the respect is not there anymore. 
that you, you, you understand where I'm, where I'm coming from, isn't it? Do you think the Confederation of African football calf? Do you think they need to do more to restore the respect in African football in terms of the way the agency or the agent field operates? Do you think CAF needs to do more? Are they doing more? Uh, yeah. Thank you for the question. It's a very important question. At the moment, the CAF is following the FIFA. We don't see any effort. Uh, we need to fight alone. First of uh, I think uh, we need to unite Africans. We need to unite to uh, our voice. We need uh, the CAF need to hear it, and uh, FIFA need to hear it. If we do it, we can success. Other than that, everyone. We, I don't see that we can. They can do nothing fast. And uh, the, the lady just in front of you. And then the gentleman next. The lady just in front of you next. Oh, hi, my name is Sophia from the International Sports Tax Association. Um, Fari, you mentioned that there were some of the regulations, some of the provisions in the regulations that you were that you didn't mind. And I just wondered what the panel's opinion was about the player pays option. Uh, yeah, we, we think the player pays option is going to be fraught with complexity. Um, at the moment, the system works. And, and myself, Jonathan and Leon, we sit um, on various different calls with HMRC. Uh, HMRC accept the situation as long as the circumstances are genuine um, and they are uh, happy that the system isn't being abused. They don't mind the P11D benefit, tax, uh, tax benefit in kind. Um, and we think that that's a good system. Having the player pays is going to be fraught with complexity uh, and it's going to cause a number of different difficulties for, for agents to actually get paid, for, for players to remember that this is the service that was provided at three, four years ago um, and, and it's, it's just going to cause a number of difficulties for, for agents and, and players. And cash flow as well. Um, Jonathan's right in you know, the cash flow part of it too. So um, we don't think the system is broken. Uh, the clubs are happy to pay this way. Um, we're happy to receive money this way. Players are happy to receive money this way. And, and HMRC are happy provided the system isn't being abused. So with all four different parties saying yes, why are FIFA saying no? Okay, thank you. Thank you. My name is Joseph. Um, I'm from Nigeria and I'm an MSC student. Okay, my question directs to you, uh, Mr. Fariri. Um, I appreciate your amazing job as regards to um, you trying to challenge FIFA as regards to the camps, because I'm cool with the regulation, yes, it's good to regulate, we raise the professional standard for more quality job. That's okay, that's fine. Now, I think, um, what are the signals that shows that your, um, the association of football agents alongside other uh, associations are really carrying out this job. Like, for example, we have done this X, we've gotten a feedback Y, we hope to do this Z, we are going to do this A, we are going to do this because we've got the feedback as regards to this. So there are three different agent associations that are unified right now. So, so you have the English Association, called the Association of Football Agents, you have the European Football Agents Association, which is the meeting that the guys have done on today, and you have the Football Forum, which Jonathan is, is, is president of. 
we have a really, really good working relationship amongst us. So we've realized that the, the best way and the only way to really defeat FIFA is for us to be unified. So we have regular working meetings. Obviously, I can't, I can't go into too much information, but we have multiple actions across multiple different territories that are impending. And in order for that to be successful, we need to be in good communication with one another. So we're working on all of that. And we're working through the rates on a practical basis to work out the parts that we think are okay and the parts that we think are not okay. And our legal challenges are going to be based on all of them. Thank you, Fari. I think I saw Sean's hand up from Law and Sport, who's right at the back of the room. He probably doesn't need a microphone there. Feel the pressure now, Nick. Thanks. <laughs> So uh, thank you, panel, for explaining your position on this and explaining over the course of the day has been excellent, understanding more about the value that agents bring and the intricacies of the role. Um, can I get your views in terms of what role do you think player associations should play in this? So in the major league sports, obviously in NFL, the player associations license the agents. Um, but more, more, more broadly, it seems to me that the opaqueness of the market seems to be one of the big problems that you're talking about. So what would you propose in terms of creating a worldwide better understanding of the value add that good agents bring? Um, I think player, player associations are vital in, in this. So the PFA, for example, can play a vital role in this. And, and just before our panel, we had James from the PFA on. Uh, James is the general counsel. Uh, he's, a, he's an experienced professional. Um, prior to being at the FA, he was at Arsenal, where I know him from. And he has day-to-day -day transactional understanding and value that he brings to the table. He understands the various different challenges at clubs, but now he also understands the various different challenges uh, from the player side. And it's not just the PFA, but it's, it's all of the, the various different PFAs and even FIFPRO. And uh, we, we approached FIFPRO uh, at, at the very beginning of this process. And um, let's just say they were cautious. Uh, they didn't quite give us the support that we looked for. Um, and that was a bit disappointing, but it feels like the PFA are probably more in favor of us. Um, we did, we did, Jonathan, Leon and I actually did a, a little round trip to various different stakeholders in the UK as well. Uh, and you'd be amazed with the support that we got vocally, but not on paper, from all the different associations uh, that, that we spoke to. But there is definitely a role for them and we want to incorporate them into everything that we do going forwards. Thank you. Uh, it's Tony Sharkey, I'm an independent agent from Newcastle. Um, <coughs> excuse me, my questions to Nick. Um, it's obviously a good time to be a sports lawyer. Do you think um, football is getting damaged by all the court cases that are coming? <laughs> I believe your name. The, He's a lawyer, I've always said in cases, particularly when I'm defending clubs who face points deductions, that it is far better for those matters to be determined on the pitch rather than in private legal proceedings, usually held in secret by people who may or may not know too much about football. I think that's what fans would prefer. So, um, you know, from a football point of view, uh, then I, I, I think there is a danger of too many of these things being caught up in law. But the reality is football is big business. The more money in football, the more conflicts there are in football, the more you need great lawyers like us and the more work we will get. <laughs>
Um, <laughs> I think there was a hand up near the two thirds down. Yeah, thank you. Um, hi, my name is Candice from Onside Goal. Um, I had a question for the panel around the agents chamber at FIFA. Um, whether there was any input from your side as to the uh, composition of that chamber um, and whether you felt that this was maybe a, maybe a negative thing given the feelings you have towards FIFA. Truthfully, I think it's a complete waste of time. <laughs> um, I had a look at the people who are on it, I don't even know. Uh, it's, a, it's a working group. Tell me what exactly that means, because they're going to be told if all the things that I, in the years that I've dealt with FIFA, I know how it works. They're going to send two guys in that are like just above a janitor. And they're going to listen to the so-called working group speak for about, you know, an hour, hour and a half. And then they'll say goodbye, nothing more can be done, we'll report back. And you can come and see us again in three months. It's just a complete waste of time. But I'm, I'm biased slightly. Feel free to say what you think. No, I'm holding myself back. I'm holding myself back. Okay, they're, more, they're, compl they're complete morons. Uh, I, I, I think the movement of the uh, screen behind us may have been a sign that um, it's probably time to wrap up. So can we just give a big round of applause to all our panel and everybody for organising today. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to episode eight of the Sports Law Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that live and lively debate about football agents' regulations, live from Wembley Stadium. Look out for our next podcast, where we shall be considering disciplinary proceedings in sport. We have some very special guests. I'll be joined by Catherine Belloff, the Director of Legal and Governance at the British Horse Racing Authority, Jeff Cunningham, Head of Legal Regulatory at the Football League, Alistair McHenry, Head of Sport at Tira Law, and our very own James Segan Casey from Blackstone Chambers. We'll be discussing the nature of disciplinary proceedings in sport, our guests' top tips for preparing for disciplinary hearings, how our guests got to do the exciting work that they do, and what to look out for in this area in the future. So please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and look out for episode nine coming soon. And it would also be great if you can just take a second to leave a positive review for the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you download it from. It helps us keep producing top informative content for you on Sports Law for free and without any advertising. See you next time.